Welcome to Anxious Like You, a podcast hosted by Micheline Malouf and Nadia Adesi, two therapists who are anxious like you. In each episode, Micheline and Nadia dive into their guests' experience with anxiety and give you the tools you need to face your anxiety head on. This podcast is made in collaboration with Dive Through, a mental wellness company. On today's episode, we're speaking to Kelsey Dara. Kelsey is an actor, writer, and filmmaker who you've probably seen producing hundreds of videos on the internet. Ambitious, messy, and unafraid, Kelsey writes, directs, and occasionally stars in strong, female-driven, shareable content for all platforms. Kelsey wrote a book called Don't Fucking Panic, The Shit They Don't Tell You in Therapy About Anxiety Disorder, Panic Attacks, and Depression. Today, we talk to Kelsey about her struggle with mental health and chronic pain, and she provides us with multiple takeaways on how to get through a panic attack and support someone you love through a panic attack. On today's episode, we are here with Kelsey Dara, and we're going to jump right in. Kelsey, we hear that you call yourself an accidental mental health advocate. Can you tell yes. us about that story and how that happened? Yes. I, it's so funny because it's such a mouthful to say an accidental advocate or like an accidental activist, because if you would have told me even like five years ago that I would have been someone helping other people or even talking about my own mental health this publicly, I would have like slapped you in the face and been like, get out of here, you wizard, like no way. And it, it truly was not part of my plan for life. Like I never made a space for it. If anything, I was like, I'm going to bury this way down, keep it very secret and never talk about it ever, ever, ever. So the fact that like, you know, I was slowly able to kind of like come out I'm making air quotes with my mental health journey to the public and it be received so well and um, like flamed, like it, it, the people were like fanning the flames for me to keep doing it and keep talking about it is something I could have never predicted in my life. Like you guys are like professionals, like there was a path to your advocacy and stuff like I dropped out of three colleges. Like I just assume people are like, we should not listen to her. It, you know, it, it's crazy for sure. So what was your original plan? Oh my God. Become a, like Jennifer Lawrence. Like I thought I wanted to be a serious actor who would like direct and write my own stuff. And this was, you know, I, I've been in LA 10 years and I was always involved in the arts, whether it be like musical theater major or minor or like journalism, um, like doing my high school TV's uh, morning show, that kind of thing. I always knew I wanted to be in entertainment, but I wasn't sure if it was like broadcast journalism or whatever. But I always laugh at like that. I was I always was in the path of of public facing persona. And, you know, my mom would be like, I could never do what you do. Like get up on stage and be the lead in your spring musical. Like, what, doesn't that give you anxiety? And I'd be like, no, no, it doesn't. But, oh, you know, trying to eat mushrooms on a salad because I thought someone is trying to poison me with mushrooms. Like that gives me anxiety, like relatable. Right. As I no, it wasn't. <laughs> That's hilarious. Did yeah. you always struggle with your, with your mental health? Yes. And you know, it's funny. Um, I didn't realize how early on I actually started to struggle with anxiety disorder until I started to write the book because for this, you know, the story I had been putting out through videos and, and public speaking and stuff was that I was very sure the first time I ever had a panic attack was when I was 17 on an airplane, very claustrophobic control freak. felt like it came out of nowhere. That was always my thought that I had kind of been thrown into panic disorder. But as I started to ask questions with my family and go back through prior health, you know, scares and things like that, I started to recognize traits very early on, like toddler like age where I was having intrusive thoughts or serious rumination or um, you know, feeling like I was choking. My parents took me to the ER when I was a, a little kid, maybe like six or seven after a soccer game. Cause I, they thought I couldn't breathe, but it was just me having a panic attack and nobody in the like children's urgent care ever brought up anxiety or mental health. Like that was not a word we used. I'm 30. So you can even just see 
even, you know, 15 years ago, we weren't really having this kind of dialogue. So, um, yeah, it, it was crazy to kind of see how early it actually did start and how much help we didn't know I could have used back then. Yeah. You mentioned like trouble swallowing and I kind of wanted to talk about that for a minute because there is such like, there are some symptoms of anxiety that are just so strange and that you would never think about. And one of them is that like trouble swallowing. Yeah. It's like, you feel like your throat is yeah, like closing in on you, uh, tingly feelings in your Mm -hmm. body, feeling like your body's burning or on fire. Mm -hmm. Um, there was what other strange ones, like even like derealization dissociation where you feel like you're floating. How old were you when you couldn't, when you felt like you couldn't swallow? I, I, it was after a soccer game. I was like super involved in sports as a kid. So I, I would say like six or seven, but the feelings of claustrophobia and those um, hating the sense of feeling out of control of a situation, you know, started when my neighborhood kid friends as a joke locked me in the trunk of a car when I was little. And I didn't, I never connected that trauma to my claustrophobia until many, many years later when my therapist was like, um, that might have something to do with it. And I was like, oh shit, yeah. So it was like, I had all these symptoms, never a diagnosis, never a name, never a doctor advocating for me until I was, you know, closer to 17, 18, when I became like an adult. Mm -hmm. What a great example of how, uh, something that somebody might minimize as Mm -hmm. a trauma can impact our life. And that's something that I'm sure on social media as a, as a Mm. mental health advocate, you see people comparing traumas and comparing things that they've been through and minimizing their own experiences. Well, that shouldn't have caused all of that. That was just fun and games, but it's so real, especially like the age you were at, you know, being locked in a trunk of a car, even as a joke or or fun is not cool. Like that. And I'm so glad you brought up the, the like comparing traumas because I, I actually think Nadia, it was one of your TikToks I saw that was talking about that, like how subjective it is just because, you know, I was raised in a privileged position that was still very real to me and having to allow myself the compassion and, um, like kind of shed a little bit of that guilt. Like, what do I have to be depressed about? What do I have to be anxious about? Like we, it's, we still feel it the same way someone who, you know, might be going through a more societally acceptable version of whatever, you know, PTSD or trauma is like the brain is funky. Yeah. It does what she wants. And sometimes we don't want to allow ourselves to feel it because like you said, I I came from a privileged place and Mm -hmm. I was given a house and I was given everything I ever wanted, Mm -hmm. but that doesn't excuse any trauma you've experienced and it followed years followed you years later and just noticing like accepting the chemical imbalance too and learning about like neuroplasticity and stuff that the brain has to be constantly changing like we're always growing at first felt like overwhelming and then became the best news I've ever heard in my life like the fact that these things have happened to me, but do not define me or do not, uh, you know, there aren't permanent, um, are unlearned felt so relieving. And, you know, it, it's something I have to remind myself constantly that just because say severe depression runs in my family, doesn't mean I have to continue this cycle, whether or not it's in my control. There are things that we can do as a society to help lighten that load. And that's like what keeps me in this. I mean, I'm sure for you guys too, you guys are like, we are the ones we are the generation. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I love that though. So you find comfort in knowing that patterns and mental health struggles that have been part of your life in the past can be redefined almost or like yeah. new patterns can be, you are kind of more in control of right that yeah totally because like when someone would tell me like oh I used to have panic attacks like you'll grow out of them I would be seething I would be <laughs> like shut up Sh- you have no idea like there's no way you could grow out of panic attacks there's no way you can grow out of anxiety like 
everyone has anxiety. You're supposed to have anxiety. Like we would die if we didn't have it. But of course there are varying levels and it's luckily becoming more acceptable to see it as a spectrum. And I think that that's only going to help us also think of it as our journey with it being an ebb and flow. And the sooner I came to kind of accept that realization that like, I might go 10 years without a panic attack. Doesn't mean I'm going to let my motherfucking guard down. Doesn't mean I'm not always going to be, you know, prepared or have a toolkit that I can whip out at some point and fight that monster. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Not fight it. Manage. Manage. Yes. I love that you use that word. (laughs) Manage, manage. And and that's something that we get on social media all the time. It's like, Mm. get rid of my anxiety. How can I just like get rid of this? And it's not something you want to get rid of because you mentioned you don't want to die. You need the anxiety to survive. It's an adaptive response. Yeah. But you do want to manage it. You do want to know when you're safe and when Mm. you're not. And so you can utilize the tools um, to, to help you get through it. And maybe yes. it's not a severe, but it's definitely not, you don't want it to go away. Trust me. Yeah. And the same thing with like the treatment, right? Like I feel very lucky that, I mean, however you look at it, I've been in a lot of treatment centers. I'm very lucky. Like <laughs> I've got to try so many different, like everything from a verdict to, um, hypnotherapy to, um, uh, neurofeedback. Like I've gotten to try so many different treatments. And that was also why I kind of wanted to, to write the book was like, I included stuff in the book that doesn't work for me that I have tried many times. And I'm like, this just, I don't get it. I don't know, but it's helped other people and the treatment and the, um, the research is only becoming wider and bigger and more accepting and better. And, and that to me was also really important to include that. Like, I know I felt my most, you know, trigger warning. I felt my most like wanting to die when I felt like I was stuck this way, that I was this way forever. It felt like it was lasting years and the panic attacks would go on for cycles of days. And that is where my changing has, or excuse me, where my thinking has changed is that I know where we were even a year, two years, 10 years ago. Imagine where we'll be 10, 15, 20 years from now. Yeah. Yeah. Can you tell us a little bit about that? darkest moment oh girl oh yeah I mean it's it's a it's a time I look back on with such compassion slash sadness slash anger slash so many things you know I I write about this a lot in the book it's kind of in the depression chapter where it's like I wasn't going to shy away from the conversation around suicide I wasn't going to shy away from the conversation around suicidal ideation um treading water like constantly feeling like you can never come up for air and that's what I was going through I went through a breakup a loss of a, a job. Um, I was fostering kittens at that time. And one of the kittens had died. It was just like one, two, three things after another I was using. Um, I was abusing my um, benzodiazepine kind of emergency pills, which I didn't really know I was abusing. I was just kind of like bandaid over it, bullet holing it. And I just thought so much of myself wanting to end the pain. I was like, I'm sick of other people trying to help me. I'm sick of like medications. Why am I not strong enough to help myself? Why I'm this independent, you know, strong advocate for women. And like, I can't even help myself. And I just felt so much like if I can't do it, no one can do it. And I wanted to end the pain and depression. I didn't want to end my life. And I think that that's so important for people to know that I understand that. I understand that sleep is better than real life sometimes. Like I still go through that where I'm like, oh man, my dreams are just so wonderful. I'd rather stay asleep than go face the day. But I had been drinking one night and, you know, had a, what I call like a soft attempt. And I whether it be divine intervention or just like my own stupidity, um, my attempt didn't, was not successful, or you could say successful in the way that, you know, I'm still alive. Um, and I called the suicide hotline. I did something that I never in a million years thought I would do. 
And I think that one thing, you know, changed my life. And, and even just on the phone with that person, they said, you know, we get so selfish in these times and it's not in a bad way. Like we're in pain. We should be selfish, but we don't think about all the other people we would be leaving behind or causing pain to. And, you know, I'm a very emotional bitch. Like you hit me with that shit. And I was just like, Oh God, you're right. Oh Jesus. Yep. My cats, what would my cats do? You start thinking in a different way. So, you know, it was vital that in that moment I reached out for help that I, I knew from that moment forward, you're not supposed to do this on your own. You're not supposed to be able to cure yourself. I'm making air quotes. You're not supposed to, um, have it all and know it all and have the tools. Like I'm so jealous. You guys went through all the schooling and stuff. I wish I could do that. I just don't think at my age and my schedule, I could, but that's a dream of mine is to like, do, do some sort of therapy or, you know, psychology degree stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just keep shouting from the void in TikTok yeah. instead. <laughs> but your work is, I would say, equally as oh. impactful and important and needed. Mm. Lived experience sometimes mm. trumps yeah. educate, like trumps yeah. Yeah. trumps our textbooks. Absolutely. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure you guys have experienced mm-hmm. bad therapists or doctors or psychiatrists, psychologists. Like I, I have too. It's felt like I'm an experiment. And I'm like, why are you talking to me? And then I've had doctors and people that do have that lived experience. And, and I'm like, I trust them more. And, Mm -hmm. you know, that's why I wrote my book from the point of one of us, you know, like I purposefully didn't want it to be from the point of view of a, of a doctor, because I was like, yeah, you, you have to know and trust me that I've fucking been through it. (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of interviews we've done, or even just talking to people, we find that people that have said things or saved their lives mm. for people who they can relate to, or people that went through similar experiences. Mm. Yes. So I think the work is so important. It's like, yeah, that's exactly what Nadia said. It's like some of the most impactful messages mm. because in therapy, like, you know, we have our boundaries and we have our limitations and we can't always self-disclose our struggles with our clients. There are obviously mm. some appropriate times to do so. And I have in the past, like mm. told some clients certain things when I knew it was beneficial for treatment, but for the most part, we're not right. So sometimes just hearing another person's story, I know mm. personally with my own struggles, um, I, when I hear someone else's story, that's how I can put words to mm. mine. Um, so sometimes it's like, I don't know why I feel this way. And then I, and then I see someone or hear someone talking about their struggles and putting words because they figured it out somehow. And then I'm Mm. like, oh my gosh, that that's it. Like, that's, that's why I feel this way. I had that same experience or I had a similar experience. So I think your work is very, Mm. very impactful because people need to hear it. Thanks. I, so I really appreciate like, especially coming from you guys, that means a lot. Um, but that, that idea of you know, relatability. That's something I, I learned through the internet, you know, like I went through the traditional route of, you know, seeing a psychiatrist, seeing a psychologist going in person to the, like therapists I didn't relate to. Then again, I was also a teenager. So was I really going to relate to anybody at that point? I was just going to be like, bah. um, but it wasn't until I kind of turned to the internet. And I remember that feeling of learning what derealization and depersonalization was. And I was like, <gasps> like, I even think about it now I get chills. Cause I'm like, there's a word for this, the scariest symptom I have. Like, oh my God, I'll never forget that feeling of just, and you know, I want that to happen for everybody. That's like all we want. Right. I think it's so interesting too. Like you guys are great podcast hosts because you listen for a living too. And like, you'll just let me talk forever. If I, if you don't cut me off, we will. <laughs> no, you got to cut me off. <laughs> we love this. No, we, we love it because, okay. So here's a therapist trick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the more you give space, the more people tell you. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes sense. Right. That makes sense. <laughs> Mathematically, though, that so, does make sense. I'm learning best, how to do that with yeah, like some of the best right. interventions. Like when we have clients that are like it's super, super like I'm not telling you anything. No. Sometimes sitting in silence will make it so awkward that the client will be like, "Okay, fine, fine." 
here. Seriously. <laughs> because See, I, also you don't want to pressure them, right? Right. So. I had a therapist that would do that where as soon as I came in, she would just sit. And I'd be like, <laughs> I need a prompt. I need something. Like ask me how my week's been. Like literally anything yeah. besides me. Yeah just spewing you know <laughs> yeah it worked on me so well though like when my uh therapist would come in she'd be like she just like give me this like look like mm. <laughs> I was like I can't handle this this is so awkward I have to, and I start crying I'm like oh, <laughs> this, right. is what this, this is what happened you know yeah. so it's like if she had asked me how was your week I'd probably been like oh it's fine everything's fine you're right yeah, everything's fine and then she'd be like more silence. <laughs> I love the book. Um, you should, you re- you should yeah. talk to someone Lori Gottlieb's where it, it analyzes, <clears throat> excuse me, rather it, it reveals the relationship between therapists and their therapists. And I was just like, that is a meta mind game that I can fully not like, I would yeah. constantly be trying to outthink them. And I, I just couldn't imagine. That seems so stressful. It's so stressful. <laughs> it's so stressful. Like, I know what yeah, you're you doing to go. me. You gotta yeah. let go. I won't give into that silence anymore. Because yeah. I'm like, I've learned how to sit in silence. I'll sit in silence with you this whole hour. <laughs> and then you're paying, like, your co-pay yeah. to yeah. sit in silence. Yeah. yeah. That's so funny. I'm going to ask you that, <laughs> like, when you guys come do Confidently Insecure, that is the kind of stuff that I am so interested I'm talking about we're ready yes yeah so when was the shift for you of okay I'm going to publicly speak about my mental health yeah so my friends and close family all knew because how could they not right like they knew oh god if we have to get on an airplane like we gotta dose Kelsey we gotta somehow sneak her a bunch of booze because she's not 21 yet like we it was always, I felt like a liability, like a burden, like, oh God, I can't do things. Cause out of nowhere at any moment, I could be the reason why, you know, we end a trip early. We have to fly home. Like I can't go on the excursion, whatever. So my close people knew, but when I started working at Buzzfeed, actually <clears throat> they do a mental health month sprint, which first of all, like gotta shout that out. Amazing that they are such a big company that was like giving space to that content. And they didn't really have anyone leading it. They were just like, Hey, we got to make content. And I was like, well, I sure know a lot of, I sure could like run this meeting if we want to, you know, open up a dialogue about mental health. So we had this big meeting, which I thought was really funny that so many people came. Cause I was like, bitch, I know you got an anxiety disorder. Like you definitely got depression. Like we all found each other. And so we had this big meeting about what kind of content we were going to make. And after that meeting, I started a Slack room in our like company Slack called, um, happy place. And I invited everyone. And I was like, Hey, this should just be a place for us to like, you know, if you're having a bad day at work or you need someone to take a walk with you or like, you know, you're working from home and you need some good combo, like this should be that safe space. Should also be a place where other producers can come in and ask questions like, is this insensitive? Like, am I um, portraying this accurately kind of thing uh, in my script or my video or whatever. So we, we established kind of like this internal company um, safe space, which really gave me the confidence to make a video. I think it was like 2016 that I called my pill journey. Looking back on it, I probably would have come up with a better title, but at the time I was just eager to put it out where I had voiced over um, stop motion animation of my um, journey in mental health. And I actually used the pills I had been prescribed over like a 10 year period of time to make all the animations. So I think that really grabbed people's attention where they were like, oh my God, Lamictal, I know what that is. Well, Butrin, I know what that, Lexapro, wow, Xanax. Like, uh, you know, people were able to identify what I was talking about in over, you know, a three or four minute video. I had probably talked about 20 different medications, the struggles, the ups and downs. And because my face wasn't in it and I wasn't talent in it, I thought this will just go out and it'll be in the world. Well, I was immediately identified. Like people were like, oh my God, I had no idea Kelsey dealt with this. And I was like, ah, shit, fuck. The jig is up. My identity revealed. What am I going to do? And I was nervous at first because I was like, people are going to see me as unhirable, unstable, manic, or, you know, can't rely on me, that kind of thing. 
but I was met with the complete opposite reaction. Like to this day, I still get messages from people talking about that video and like comments and, you know, two people got tattoos of like quotes from the video. Like it would, it shook me to my core that I was like getting messages every single day from people all around the world. And that's when it kind of clicked. I was like, okay, there's not enough content around mental health. You can Google it on YouTube or whatever and see some videos, but there's not enough like first person conversation. And so that's really kind of the, the start and it never stopped. And I've only become more and more supported, which I think is important for people to know. Like, yes, you could say I'm in a privileged position. I'm a white cis female. Like you could say that, oh, well, of course people are going to react nicely to you. Like you're you or whatever, but I get hate. I get people that say she's faking it or there's no way she's too outgoing. She, you know, how could she possibly struggle? She drives this car or lives in LA, like whatever. Right. Like I've had to deal with that, but the influx of positivity has far, far, far outweighed any negative bullshit I deal with. Wow. You guys, you really got to get me to stop talking. (laughs) (laughs) We're just, we could just like, we're mesmerized. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just thinking 2016 mental health was not spoken about enough at that time. It's almost like helped car for sure. Yeah. And definitely a Buzzfeed, which like at the time they were really the, the place to watch videos. And I feel like I have to give it up to like the support I had, you know, the coworkers that would encourage me to do this or put this out. And, um, like if every single one of us didn't take that one little chance of being vulnerable for like the entire world to criticize, I don't know that like the internet's conversation around mental health would be where it is today. And so I'm like super, super proud of it but also like I'm sure you guys feel the same way where you're like we're not done we're not even close we're just getting started let's go team <laughs> exactly yeah. no it's 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 so there's so much work to be done around the mental health space yeah I, I got a message today as um speaking out about the stuff that's happening in our world with the shooting that just right. happened and mm-hmm. I and I got a, uh, a message from a previous follower that made it clear that they unfollowed me saying sure. that um, aren't you a therapist? Shouldn't you not be panicking or why are you panicking? And, oh, like um, you don't have emotions. Yeah. Like, like we're, we're therapists <laughs> and therapists shouldn't have emotions. Uh, we shouldn't have, uh, we shouldn't react in any way. And I think right. the, the general, we're humans, we're not robots and we, um, therapists are not therapists. We all have emotions. We all have anxiety. Like you mentioned, we all experience adverse experiences throughout our lives. And so, we are going to struggle. And so the work will never be done because there's always going to be mental health. We're always going to be struggling with mental health and there's always going to be a new generation Mm -hmm. and there's always going to be things changing in our world and traumas are going to happen all day, every day. And so we need to have these conversations more often and yeah, big influencers and you know, TV stars and musicians. And those are very important people to, to have this conversation because people look up, you know, they look up to yeah. you. I know. Which is crazy, right? Yeah. <laughs> You're like, no, no, no. Look the other way. Don't look, don't look up to me. Find somebody else. But then yeah. you, you know, you gotta, you gotta recognize that you're so right. Like that follower wanting you to be a robot. Like I wouldn't want that person following me anyway. No. And I was like, bye, you know, like, because, yeah, because I'm going to speak, I'm going to speak up about things that I, I think yeah. are right. I'm going to, I'm going to show you that I'm having panic attacks and depression mm. and anxiety. I'm not a therapist because I'm perfect. As a matter of fact, those are the reasons I became a therapist. So oh, I love that. Yeah, you know, so it's, it's one of those things that I think is very important for people to know um, that, really? you know, we all struggle and we all have to have these conversations. Yeah. Yeah. And that is not I, supposed to be pretty pictured up in a bow. Not, That's not no. life. I know. I know you struggle with chronic pain to uh, trigeminal mm-hmm. neuralgia. Um, yeah. Which is one of uh, probably they said, um, I think it was like five times more painful than giving birth. Like, birth, birth. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's on your face. And yes. so was, mm-hmm. is that something you're still struggling? I mean, I don't know if that goes away or Ab- you're- absolutely. I'm like, so glad you said something. Cause like, I noticed I was, I'm like, you know, this is my fourth or fifth meeting of the day. And I'm like starting to feel a lot of burning and I, I noticed it. And then I kind of like 
you know, let it go. And then the fact that you brought it up, that's just so funny. That's so funny to me that the universe is like, bitch, talk about this. Like, (laughs) Don't try to hide it. And, you know, I actually, this is like exclusive first news just for you guys. I'm just got my second book deal about chronic pain. So I'm actually going to do like a don't panic version of pain. So I'm like, so glad you brought that up. And I like one of the biggest things I realized, even just like doing the outline was like, oh my God, how much of the brain is chronic pain? Like how much our thoughts and how much our reactions and attitude, whether we freaking like it or not mm-hmm. is involved in, you know, our chronic pain. And I am what's considered a little bit early in my journey. I'm only five years diagnosed trigeminal neuralgia. Like I know people who have, you know, like 20, 50 years of it. And I'm a part of all these amazing Facebook groups and something kind of amazing happened the other day in one, um, they call trigeminal neuralgia, the suicide disease, because before there was any form of treatment, one in three people would take their own lives because of it. And, um, you know, it's just, it's such a painful thing. I'm luckily in a, Um, like between a type one and type two, where my flares are not as intense as they used to be or could be for people again, comparing like, it's it's, it's not as bad because it could always be worse. Right. Like, you know, it's while still acknowledging that like my life is different than most people's. (laughs) Um, but something amazing happened in this Facebook group the other day, we had someone, posting that they couldn't do it anymore and they were saying their goodbyes in the Facebook group and something like 320 people commented found where the person lived like like used their Facebook to reverse engineer track them down called the police and got police and family members over to their house before they carried out us any self-harm. And I was like bawling, like, wait, you know, we're all there waiting for updates. And it was so amazing to see that happen. Like, I didn't know that that support was there. And, you know, chronic pain can be very isolating, especially when you have such like a weird thing like I do. Um, It can be hard to find what you think it's hard to find support. But the truth is, and especially like as women, we're like born into pain. We live our pubescent years in pain. We go through menopause and pain and we die and pain. You know, it's like I found that like I feel like I found a really good way of relating chronic pain to like really any woman that, you know, even if you've, you know, broken a bone before or like had a bad like dentist appointment, like we all know what pain is. And so Um, It's about finding those people that can wrap their heads around the idea of being in pain all the time, because I think that's what like stifles people and gets people a little prejudice and taboo is like, you mean you're in pain all the time? And I'm like, yes, like right now, like Mm -hmm. yesterday, like today, like tomorrow, you know, it's, it's, Mm -hmm. it's uh, a mind fuck. And I think like a big thing I recognized early on was that if I thought about it beyond today. I don't know that I could do it. It like forced me to be very present. Yeah. One day at a time. I think again, same thing. You're doing such important work because (laughs) as mental health in the past, like there wasn't enough out there. I feel like that's Mm. very similar for chronic pain. Oh, at least yeah. with like lived experience or now yeah. that you're part of that amazing community, which gave me goosebumps hearing that know, story right? It's for others to know things like that exists who are experiencing mm-hmm. chronic pain in pain all the time. It's right. really nice. I'm and curious. I like, oh, saw your video on YouTube about trigeminal uh, neuralgia where you tried like CBD yes. uh-huh. a while uh-huh. back because I know my husband has facial chronic pain 24 seven. I don't oh, know if gosh. they've told if it's trigeminal neuralgia or not, oh, but that was wow. the video that got us to go. Um, we, I was like, you need to try this because yeah. it like helped her pain. Totally. And so we went to the, we went and he got it. And for him, it was like, there's other stuff going on. So that wasn't right. really helping as much, right. but, but it was like you putting that out there in the right. world right. gets people to try these things. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, the connection between chronic pain and mental health mm. disorders Ooh. is huge. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what, 
how, how okay so did something happen around the, the same time that you developed this so yes mine was the cause of a trauma during surgery so I was actually having jaw surgery and a you know however legally I can say it a, a doctor overstretched damaged cut my trigeminal nerve and um I woke up in more severe pain than you know, I went into surgery with, and I, they, he actually had to redo the surgery five days later. It was a big like whole situation where we found out that the statute of limitations in Florida for that kind of surgery is a year. And he was like putting off my appointments to see me and treat me for a year. And like, it was just a big, big clusterfuck, which is unique in my case where something, someone did something to me versus a lot of people in chronic pain. It's like, you know, you're born with it or accidents or, or whatever. So, um, despite like how it happened to you, right. Like I got so wrapped up in that, like anger, it was really easy to just be like mad all the time. Right. And just frustrated, frustrated is like the word. Cause I cry when I'm mad and I cry when I'm frustrated. And so like, even going to the DMV, I'm like sobbing before I even like get in there because I'm just like, everything is so stressful. Um, but you know, like there is a, I'm like a highly sensitive person. I've learned like an HSP or whatever they call it. Um, and so the, just the universe's comedy of, of giving me a facial disorder, a facial pain disorder, when I literally talk for a living is like, ah, you tricky bitch. But yeah. <laughs> I was actually curious. I was going to ask, and I mean, maybe I'm already asking all of my podcast questions now for you guys, my interview questions, but like, I've seen therapists, I've seen chronic pain therapists that like specialize in chronic pain. And I find that I get very like eye rolly with them because I don't know that it is like lived experience therapist, but like, where do you even approach as a therapist starting with like chronic pain? Or do you guys like to refer out to like a specialist? I get to share that this podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. And as an anxious like you listener, you get 10% off your first month by visiting betterhelp.com forward slash like you. As a therapist who struggles with anxiety, I know how important it is to go to therapy. I've been going to therapy for a long time. Even as a therapist, my personal healing work does not stop. BetterHelp makes going to therapy easy with its fully online services. You can chat with a therapist through video, phone, or text. You can schedule your sessions when they're convenient for you. And I love that they offer phone and chat options because let's face it, sometimes even talking is too overwhelming. And having the text option with your therapist can make the difference between attending or missing session. Therapy is more than just a place to talk and vent. It's a place where you get to gain insight into your challenges, develop skills to help you manage symptoms, and do the deeper work to help you process past hurts and live a more fulfilling life. So if you're still on the fence about starting therapy or not, take advantage of this 10% off and check them out at betterhelp.com forward slash like you. I, to me, it's too close to home. I can't, I, it's still a huge trigger for me because my husband lives with it every day. And I know, um, I don't see clients with, uh, just, just for chronic pain. Mm, Um, knowing I've learned more about chronic pain and people through him than through, um, because the depression and the anxiety that comes along with it, it's not a lot of people and doctors, and this is our own experience. So if any doctor out there is listening (laughs) or whatever, a lot of times they like to attribute a lot of the pain uh, to anxiety and depression and put like the sticker on your file saying like, okay, just don't listen to them. And so then they refer you to a therapist and then the therapist is, uh, you know, well, if you just like, I take that back. My, I went with my husband to a therapist about this and she kept saying things like, well, if you thought about it in this way, or if you, you know, like trying to change the thoughts the and then when I was with her alone, she was like, do you think he's using his chronic pain to manipulate you? And I was like, sorry, strong reaction, but no, are you effing kidding me? Like I got so viscerally, like I got so, I quit. I obviously fired her Yes. and I came home and I cried because oh. I'm like, my husband is not even close to any sort of manipulator and right the way he's crying and having suicidal thoughts about mm-hmm. these like things mm-hmm. um, it's it's just not it's so not okay and so mm-hmm. gaslighting and so for me to have you know to 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 work with someone when i haven't mm-hmm. um like i have it at home 
uh, all the time, time. I feel like, I feel like it just wouldn't be a good fit. I wouldn't be able to give them my all. Cause I'd want to like be yes. into, like, probably this worked for my husband and this didn't. And have oh, you yeah. tr- and I don't want to be there. That's not the space. So mm, I think there's a special type of, uh, there are therapists that work with chronic pain. Mm-hmm. And they have to be very mindful. And I think they have to have some sort of experience, honestly, even if it's not lived, like maybe in right. the future, I could, yeah. you know, once I work cash out my yeah. stuff, then I yeah. could understand a client more because of that. But I don't think that any therapist stating they work with chronic pain, uh, especially C- CBT. Oh, I was just going to say it. I was going to oh, yeah. <laughs> say it. Even though they say it's like the top. I was biting my lip. I'm sorry. I, I have to that. say it. I worked at a clinic, my very first job out of school, it was my placement and I got a job for it. And it was specializing in motor vehicle accidents, Oh, but it was a CBT clinic. Oh, and there was a lot of chronic pain. I in no way as my (laughs) should have been there, but I'm told using CBT to help with chronic pain and got nowhere, but at least I find where I'm from, that's one of the big treatments Mm. and that should not be one of the big treatments for chronic pain because similar to Micheline's story of what if you just thought a different way? Like, no, it doesn't work that way. That's like, even if I did, so (laughs) what helped you? What helped you? What, what helped you with your chronic (sighs) pain? Like what, what you, I'm one side. Please. Okay. Gaslighting. Yes. But sometimes it's unintentional because sometimes based on the education we're given, what we're taught, that's the way CBT works. And when we're told that you get in a motor vehicle accident, you're only approved for 10 CBT sessions. It might go that way. So therapists out there, if that's the way you're treating and that's the way you have to treat, yes, we're not calling you gaslighters. We're just saying (laughs) no, no, no. It's a vibe. Like talking about Micheline's story specifically, like the manipulative language and then the like side, like it's a vibe. You can, Mm -hmm. you know, the gut feeling is a gut feeling for a reason. And I think you have to trust that, especially in chronic pain situations, because you guys are so right. The, um, the training and the education and the bedside manner, it's all part of it. You know, I've, I'm glad you asked this question about like what helped and stuff, because I feel the same way about this as you do with like setting a boundary with like clients with chronic pain that like, I almost feel still too in it to be writing a book. And then I realize like, that's why I need to do it is because that's going to give my authentic piece. Like with don't fucking panic. I was just kind of like, Oh yeah, 15 plus years. Like I'm just writing what I know, but this, I really still don't know. I am still very much trying to find like, you know, if I could show you this drawer, I've got like 800 different kinds of supplements in here. I've got like different kinds of CBDs and essential oils. Like I have a whole pain drawer that like people don't see off camera that I'm using all day, every day. And, um, I think there is a confidence that I have with mental health that I have not yet figured out with pain. And so I think it's going to be a lot harder this time to write, which I'm like, I got to go away in the woods or something, but that's like never what helps going away in the woods to write. It's like, oh, (laughs) (laughs) well, chronic pain is so funny too, because what might work for you today may not work for you tomorrow. And that's something like watching him struggle and and Mm. assuming, you know, that's with facial pain, especially because like right there, it's not like you can hide. It's not your arm or like your leg. It's, it's your face. And so um, you do everything you have, you have to see, you have to eat, mm. you have to talk. Oh yeah. Blow so- jobs. <laughs> Listen, it affects many areas of the life yeah. that we don't think of to tell people like, you know, you gotta have tough conversations sometimes, even yeah. with, you know, yeah. just stuff. I never thought I'd have to talk about. I'd be like, Oh fuck. How it intersects with every part everything. of my life. Yeah. Yeah. Is that what led to you, um, drinking? Oh man, I grew up in Florida. I went to public school in Florida. So that's kind of what I attributed to my drinking. <laughs> I grew up Where in, in Florida, Tampa, Trampa, oh, 813. Like, I'm in Orlando. So like, oh, you're in Orlando. I'm in Orlando. It's like an okay, hour. wait. So, you know, like Florida yeah. has its places and pieces. I didn't know, like, you know, watching people like snort blues off the back of our high school toilets in ninth grade wasn't normal until I left. And people were like, 
what? And I'm like, oh, you guys didn't inject heroin in between your toes before like senior year. Okay, cool. Um, Florida is a unique place. And I, I feel very weirdly lucky that I was introduced to a lot of that early because I didn't come out to LA and like fall into that stereotypical trap of like, you know, becoming a, a user abuser, but I definitely was a very good high functioning alcoholic pre-pain and pre-diagnosed um, mental health conditions. And I can 1,050 million bajillion percent say it didn't fucking help either. <laughs> it didn't help the mental yeah. health. It didn't help the pain. And I've been sober now for, I always forget because I kind of lost count after a year. After a year, I was like, I did it. All right. Yeah. I guess I'll just keep going. <laughs> but um, it was a personality that I had built on the internet and it leaked over into my real life. And I was always the girl that could out drink the guys and, you know, drink at the tailgates at nine in the morning for the football games. And then, you know, would throw up at noon and go out at night. Like I just was that bitch. And I thought it was so cool and cute. And like, you know, I'm actually right in the middle of right now reading, um, Holly Whitaker's book, quit like a woman. And, something that stuck with me was like, she reads the definition of what alcohol is and it's like ethanol, like rocket fuel. And she's like, we literally do goop and yoga and we steam our yonis and we like get manicures for self-care. And then we drink rocket fuel and we're like, what is wrong with our society? And I could fully fucking attest to like, the drinking culture. Like I definitely have that in my mind is like maybe a third book, you know, like a sobriety journal, but it didn't help my anxiety. It made it worse. The Sunday yep. scaries were 150 times worse. My panic attacks were a thousand. Like I write a lot about that in the book too. Of just like, you think in the moment it's your go-to, but yeah. it's a bullet over or a bandaid over a bullet hole. It is because you numb out your feelings. You're not really feeling them. You're just making things worse. And plus alcohol has like a high anxiety withdrawal. Uh, it's part of the withdrawal symptoms of it, right? So right. you drink more to get rid of that anxiety. So, <laughs> so it's, it's a beautiful a cycle like, that's like definitely yeah. working for a lot of people. <laughs> yeah. I mean, your book, you keep mentioning your book. So I want to talk about it a minute. Sure. It's called don't, don't fucking panic, right? The <laughs> shit they don't tell you in therapy about anxiety disorders, panic attacks, and depression. What don't they tell you in therapy? I, I know. knew that was going to be the question. I was like, no, not to two like very well educated and amazing people like therapists. Fuck. Um, it was definitely like a play into the idea that this isn't written by a professional, right? right? Like, on the cover, I keep pointing at it because I put it behind me like a real fucking asshole, just my own book on a fucking shelf. <laughs> um, but like my name has, you know, is the author and then it's like MD, PhD and it's like crossed out. You know, it was very purposefully like I'm revealing back the curtain from the most fucked up person I know of like treatment centers, rehab, intensive outpatient. Like, let me show you what I have learned. So it wasn't meant to be kind of like a knock on, um, you're not getting this kind of help in therapy, but yeah. rather like, and here's this, and here's a page of like Ryan Gosling paint by numbers. That's, and he's holding a bunny because I just thought that was like fun and relaxing. And like, that's a page in there. So it's not just a book that has essays and anecdotes and um, personal stories. Um, it's a workbook. So it's split into three sections, anxiety, panic, and depression. Also, I just realized I'm missing a nail. Oh, ADHD. Um, but it's, it's uh, separated into three sections and each page is a completely different exercise tip yeah. trick. Again, some from medical professionals I interviewed and then some things I just completely fucking made up, pull it out of my ass. <laughs> That's so amazing. So taking that persona off uh, offline and kind of putting it in a book so people can can utilize yeah, it. Yeah, because I'm just wondering if like, I need some tools for my clients. Though. Listen, like, the like, biggest no. compliment. I'm gonna send you guys obviously the book. Like have to. Duh. PR box is like coming your way. Um, but the biggest compliment I will get is from a therapist that DMs me and says, "Hey." I thought this was just like an influencer, like talking about their lives, which it is not. Um, I'm not that interesting. Um, but for them to say, I would have never thought 
to do this thing. Or like, I would have never imagined someone could feel this way. It was nice to see like a firsthand perspective. And I think that that's what's helpful about the internet is like, we can get first. I mean, I'm sure like your TikTok content probably comes a lot from people who are like me next, me next, do my <laughs> thing. Like help me. <laughs> right. Yes. Like yes. I just kind of <laughs> took from what people were talking and asking about and like gave them the book that I wish I had had when I was 19. And I was like, if one person buys it, it'll have been worth it. You know, it'll yeah. be that one little nugget that people take away you know, we all have those moments and those metaphors and those anecdotes and stuff. Right. So that was like very crucial for me. Mm -hmm. Love that. I'm excited to read it. I oh yeah. Work through yeah. it. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> Ryan Gosling. <laughs> I know you're going to be like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> like what? I'm going to start giving it to all my clients too. I'll be like, hey. oh, I so, like truly the biggest compliment because especially coming from you guys, like truly, truly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, so it you, you did mention that like, it's taking you, what was it like 15 years to manage your anxiety mm -hmm. and your mental health still managing, was, yep. still managing it. Is that like little things you picked up along the way yes. or was there like a big, like aha moment? Like, no. I know. <laughs> and no, I wish. Cause if that existed, I would no. be making a lot more money and be selling <laughs> a lot more of like, whatever that thing was. Right. Like it, again, there's stuff in there that like I tried and I just didn't get it. Like I'm, I'm someone who has a very hard time meditating. I find ways to implement meditation practice and um, mindfulness in my day to day. But I was like, I'm just not gonna be someone who sits in my bed every morning and is able to meditate. I will fall asleep. That's just who I am. Like I wanted to be able to give things to people that were like stuff I tried when I was 17, um, stuff that I tried last year, stuff that I'm still trying. And it also talks a lot about like things I don't know because I realized there's still a lot of stuff missing from like the DSM five is so outdated. And like there, there is a lot of, uh, stuff that kind of covers the same thing over and over and again, in like different ways. And I was kind of like, yeah, but what's like Sweden doing, or like, what are they doing over in like India? Like, why are people in Sweden so fucking happy? You know, I, I was really, um, uh, mindful, not to be punny, but like, I was really mindful of showcasing my authentic journey of like, I still struggle. Like I'm never going to be perfect. Right. No one is. And these are the things that I'm just carrying along my journey and like, come with me. It's fun over here sometimes. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. And, and you're right. DSM is not the end all be all. And I find that in our culture here, mm -hmm. diagnosis has become like such like an important thing for them. And mm -hmm. I know that there's importance in diagnosis, but I also think that we yeah. don't, we're not really mindful of, you know, how things can present. And mm -hmm. there's a quote, I'm, I'm a very trauma informed therapist. I come from a very trauma Thank God. perspective. So I, there's a quote that I don't remember who said it, it might've been the author of um, the body keeps the score. <gasps> uh, that book. Yeah. And he, and I think he, it was him that said it. And he said, if the DSM were, were trauma informed, it would be a pamphlet. <laughs> um, because it would be like, okay, trauma. And then these are the symptoms, right? And those would be the disorder. So it's really interesting because you're right. Like we don't think of like, how's India doing it? How's Sweden doing right. it? Was, yeah. You know, like those are all very important questions mm -hmm. to ask mm -hmm. and, and your mind, I want to know, because you have like a toolbox for managing panic, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. And you can, our listeners will love that because they <gasps> love actionable takeaways and stuff right. like that. So yes. I want to know, like, can you share some tools with us that yes. have worked for you? Big time. So I wanted to include a big section. It's the middle section because I thought like if people are just opening up to see if they want to buy it or not, that would be like the section they turn to. And like, that was my biggest, um, my toughest management was panic disorder. And it starts the chapter or it starts the section with telling a story about how a tweet of mine went viral, um, back in, I don't know, 2017 or 2018, where I made a list on Twitter of the 15 realistic things you can do to help me through a panic attack. And I made it for my boyfriend, um, right before we got on a plane ride, it was early in our relationship. He had never like seen me have a panic attack. I've told him all about it, but he'd never actually like seen what happened. And I was in an airport and I like felt it coming. And I was like, 
I'm going to go buy some bao buns. And I like went to a restaurant across the way and like just sat and ate bao buns and like scribbled out like tangible, real things that he could do. And I thought, well, you know, Hey, this is actually pretty good. I should post this to Twitter, see if it helps anyone else out. And I asked other people like, what things can I add to this list? And by the time I posted it, went on the plane flight, had a panic attack, used the list to try and help me and landed. I had something like 5,000 retweets. And I was like, oh my God, there's something here. And so I put it in the book as like the first section of being like, okay, the first thing you need to understand is like physically what's happening to your body. Because for me, it was like understanding the science made me not so afraid of it. And for so long, I I ran away from that because I was like, oh, blood, heart. I don't want to lungs breathing. That makes me more nervous. And so, you know, understanding what is actually happening with the flight or flight or fawn or freeze response, um, knowing like breathing is only helpful if you're breathing out more than you are breathing in, because by breathing in, people think they can't catch the breath. They can't breathe. They can't swallow. They're gulping air and it's actually making your heart rate, like all things you guys know. Um, but what I found for a partner to help me with too, is I experience like pretty narnar depersonalization when I'm having a panic attack and him telling me things about myself helped me come back. So he would be like, you're Kelsey Dara. You have two cats. You are a bad bitch. Your sweater is green. Like he would base my like thought pattern in like facts. And I'd be like, okay, these are things I can hold on to. This is tan. This is like real. Um, because when you go into that world of like, things don't feel real, or I don't feel real, you're kind of like, is this the Truman show? Is this it? Is this where my mind like ripped in half? And like, I'm on an alien spaceship and this is all VR, like whatever, you know, those are my thoughts. Um, you know, so it was stuff like that. Um, it was things like, sometimes I'm not going to know what I need and I don't need you to guess for me, just use things in the past that we've tried. Don't force anything on me. If, you can tell I, I need water, like bring it to me, but don't force me to drink it. Um, you know, don't ask me to eat. Cause sometimes I feel like I'm going to throw up. And then sometimes I need bowel buns. Like, you know, I think the most important thing for people to know during that time is that I might not know how to tell you to help me. So prepping and having that list and these things, um, in his hands pre, you know, mm -hmm. panic attack was, so helpful. And that list just became this beautiful thread, um, of hundreds of responses of people telling what they would do. And like, I've used that, you know, it's, it's a, that's why I like the internet. It's a very yeah. mutual, beautiful relationship. <laughs> yeah. That's great. It's like telling someone how to help you. And mm -hmm. that's something that I yeah. tell people all the time, because it's, we know sometimes what might help us, but we can't expect others to know what yeah. to do. And we get really angry when they like try to do the yep. wrong thing, but they're uh -huh. really trying to be helpful. Right. So, of um, it's like, the Oh, brain. Well, breathe, breathe. They're like, stop telling me to breathe. I'm like, is that it? That's all I just I need to breathe. That. You think <laughs> Yeah. like there's exactly. so many other factors. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So it's like, uh, yeah. tell somebody telling me to breathe is going to make it worse for me. Grab me some right. ice and put it on, in my hand or yeah of water and leave it there but don't force me to drink yeah it. I love yeah that. it's so uh so useful it. yeah, yeah and I like love, yeah go ahead I love the tell me facts about myself mm, yeah I am so gonna tell my fiance to do that and if he doesn't say you're a bad bitch <laughs> you're even more mad <laughs> I set like an expectation oh yeah. man no but it, it it really is true of like in those moments we feel so alone and again yeah. going back to that idea where like you're not broken or, uh, unfixable or whatever crazy in those moments. Like you, you should feel like you can develop an A team to go to during those moments. Like I have my A team, I've got my B team and God forbid I've got my C team, you know, but, um, it, it if you are alone and you are unable to reach out for help, like say you're in a plane with no Wi-Fi, you can't text your loved one or whatever the idea of remembering the kind of like flow of intense emotion where it usually gets its highest peak at like seven to 10 minutes. And then like statistically after like 25, you're usually able to like, you know, manage and kind of come back and, and see through the fog, if you will. And so that's another big thing is, is telling people that you've gone through this before you will maybe go through it again. You didn't die the first time you've, you, this too shall pass. And it's statistically impossible to live in a panic attack forever. You will not get stuck that way. 
scientifically impossible, maybe not statistically, yeah. maybe also statistically impossible, but you know, just those things again, that took a very long time to learn mm-hmm. and um, that I just like spew and preach so that people don't have to go through it so many times to, you know, kind of, it's funny to try and think of it as being like in a panic attack. And I'm like, Oh, this silly bitch, she here. I'm just gonna ride it out. I'm just gonna have to, you know, remove my own opinions and wants and needs from it. Because if I try and fight it, it's going to make it worse. So, um, for me, it was kind of like practice made perfect. (laughs) Yeah. And that's exactly it. No, but it's true. It's, it's, you know, the more we do things, the more we're going to train. And you mentioned neuroplasticity at the beginning Mm. of the episode, which is really where, where our brain starts to develop new pathways to learn new skills. And that requires repetition and doing it over and over. So like the first time you try something, it may not work. Um, it's, it's really about consistency and training Mm -hmm. your brain to work big in that moment right so I think it's really important like breathing was never the thing for me and I would even still argue like it's not really my favorite thing to go to but yeah it's just uh I learned the importance of it and again even if it's not something that worked for me it doesn't mean it won't be like the light bulb moment for someone else so even just like putting it all out there seeing what sticks we're so different. All of us are so different. So that's why I think it's really important when you see something on the internet that doesn't necessarily vibe with you or like it didn't work for you. Don't bash it because that working for someone else. Um, So breathing exercises or holding ice cubes or or it's, it's good to know that those things. Yeah. Like (laughs) being told you're a bad bitch or remembering who you are. Like (laughs) those are all very helpful and doesn't mean it's going to work for you. And so don't give up if you, uh, if, if you've tried something, you're like one, two, three, four, five things haven't worked for me. Mm-hmm. There are hundreds of tools out there. Yeah. Right? I was that-, that person. I was like, yeah. I've tried everything. I've gone to every therapy. I've gone to every type of therapy. Like I was so dead set on like, I am unfixable. This is yeah. just the way things are. You know, I was like David after dentist. I was like, is this going to be this way forever? Oh, yeah. <laughs> David that after- like viral <laughs> video. That's what like a panic attack feels like to me where I'm like, ah! Like literally feel like you're going to be stuck forever. Yeah. And it does feel stuck that way. Like I I said this quote once, I think either on TikTok or YouTube or whatever, when it's like, if you have a bad day, if you have a bad month, if you have a bad years in time does not mean you have a bad life. But when you're in the thick of that, like when you're in the thick of like, just nothing is going right for years on end, like I can completely understand why it feels like the fog is impossible to part through, but there's like strength in numbers. Maybe the more of us that talk about this stuff and talk about that management and getting to that place of feeling like, wow, this has happened to me to get me to where I am. Or like this caused me to be this way. Like, I think it's all something we could eventually be proud of, which again, like if you would have told me that two years ago, I would have like punched you in the face. I've been like, that's so dumb. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. We all have our own time to heal too. And like when Mm -hmm. we're ready for it, not linear baby. No, not at all. Mm -hmm. Not at all. Um, well, it's been an awesome conversation with you, but before we go, yes. I, we need to do the, my best friends hate you thing, because that's like a dream <laughs> of mine, like together, because I, would I love will cherish this forever and ever and ever. And okay. Then, so okay, are we going to so. say my best friends hate you? My best friends, <laughs> my best hate, friends you. hate you. Okay. So we're going to, okay. okay. Are you ready? <laughs> ready? One, two, two three. three. My best friends, my best friends hate you. My best friends hate you. Like 10 years. Thank you. I remember like we'd use that all the time. And I just like, I was like, I cannot talk to her and not do this with her because uh, it is this was, is like this is the peak of my life right now. That was the tr- that was a treat for me. I gotta be honest. That was a real treat for me. Oh, a hummingbird just stopped outside of my window. Amazing. That was my magical. A hummingbird. Wow, what a beautiful moment. <laughs> my best friends hate you. I have to say, I love that. I, well, I have to say, I'm really excited now that I like know you guys a little bit better to yeah. get you guys on, on my podcast. So right. I'm going to tell your listeners that I'm going to ask you all the questions that maybe you've wanted them to answer, but didn't think about because you're yeah. the listener. So definitely. I can't wait. I can't wait. Yeah. It'll be fun. Thank you again. I'm, I'm looking Thank forward to chatting with you on your podcast. And before you go, 
Can you tell our listeners where they can find you and tell them your book again so that they can yes, find it? Absolutely. I'm Kelsey Dara on all the things, but specifically TikTok, because that'd be my favorite place. I know you can relate. Um, and yeah, the book is on Amazon worldwide and for Kindle download, but you can also get it on Thought Catalog and they have a little bit cheaper shipping if it's like international. So that's like a thing I always like to throw out there. But thank you guys. I'm so honored to be here. Thank, thank you. you so much. That was awesome. Thanks for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure to subscribe and leave a review. Join the Anxious Like You community by following at Anxious Like You on Instagram. See you in the next episode.